Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King, and welcome to another very special edition of the Guess the Lions Unicorn Challenge podcast. Uh, we just wrapped up all of Group D's action. We thought it was going to be an exciting day. It was a very interesting day, if nothing else, and I am joined to break it all down and look at tomorrow's action with my good friend, Walter Fetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? I mean, I, I feel like every game we've we've found something interesting about it. <laughs> I think this was probably actually the most normal, the most like kind of straightforward day uh, with maybe one game kind of not going the way we thought it was going to go. Yeah, it mostly went chalk. I mean, I would say uh, Friday's games, when we looked at Group C, went exactly chalk. So that's probably been the well, surprising day of the tournament. Yeah, but what? But you know, Titans didn't roll over and die against anyone. That's true. They actually put up a fight, unlike a certain team in this group. Well, and we're going to start with this TSM Origin game because in the, in the pre-call, I'm starting to realize you're less optimistic about their performance in this opening game against Origin than I was towards TSM. And you're a TSM fan, so I, I, I want to understand from your perspective, what were your thoughts as you watched this? This uh, this game that started out looking pretty well for you guys. So there was a moment in bot lane when uh, there was a ward in the Orient Orient side bush in bot lane, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a team fight that happened, and or they were fighting. It was like a three v three. You know, jungler and bot lanes were fighting against each other, and you know nothing happens. They kind of all bounce back, and there's a singular. Like after that happens, you just see one singular blue ping click on that ward. And the second I saw that, I went, TSM is not winning. Like, in my head, I watched this game live. In my head, I went, TSM is not going to win a single game today. Because that designates right there everything that Reginald had been telling the team. You need to, uh, in episode 30 of TSM Legends, Mm -hmm. you need to trust each other. When someone makes a call, you just need to do it. Don't, you know, say, oh, this is going to, I'm going to lose this farm here. Oh, this is going to put me behind. Just do it. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, was the... LG, the LGD game last week was a fluke. They got Mordekaiser. LGD was just playing like trash. This was, they never actually fixed anything over this last week. Yeah. <laughs> there goes my unicorns. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, I, I, the, I, I can understand the frustration, especially given just, I mean, in theory, this should have been a very nice game for TSM. For the first time in this entire mer- tournament, Santorin had a gank within the first four minutes. And it worked. I can't remember the last time in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the game that I noticed Santorin doing a thing that was positive. And that happened here. TSM was ahead at the 15-minute mark. TSM was very close at the 30-minute mark. And really, you know, they were leading in kills. It was a very low-kill game, a lot, very based on a lot of these rotations here. They, Because of the fact that Origin was on red side, you still had the Syndra on Bjergsen, which I thought was a very interesting pick. The Malphite was always going to be there to take these team fights. And and the problem was that, and I, th- I think your ping story really is, is a great example of the little ways that this is so clear, even without getting to listen to any of the comms or, you know, talking to, you know, directly to players on the team. They never initiated a fight during a time in which they had an advantage. They just tried to play this really safe rotation game and make sure they didn't give up anything and make sure that, you know, nothing snowballed the way it did, you know, the last time they played Origin. And by doing that, they basically took away all of their their chances to win this game. It became this really slow, 
squeeze, you know, just the stranglehold that Origin had on them. Because TSM, by the time that they were finally willing to take a fight, it was far too late. And Origin had caught back up and gotten the tower pressure they'd wanted, and it no longer was going to go in their favor. Yeah, I'm very confused why you play a very Season 4 TSM composition against the jungler that was on that team. Yeah. Like, everything seems so... It was like... I don't know. The second you saw the Elise Morgana, I actually thought he was going to go Ari, not Syndra. Like, the Syndra came out of left field. Like, we all know he plays Syndra, but, like, I just didn't expect it to get played. Mm -hmm. So that was nice. Like, that was cool. I'm glad that we got to see it. I completely disagree with the Malphite pick. You handicapped Dyrus so much by putting him as a Malphite against a Kennen. Like, they honestly should have played Nar. I understand that Malphite is a better is a more consistent engage. You don't have to wait for the, the rage bar or anything like that, but he can actually duel the cannon in lane. It, it, you actually don't have to just sacrifice Dyrus on Malphite here. You can have him play Nar, and he can at least duel with the cannon, and you are kind of the same position as the cannon where you're trying to harass in lane and be a lane bully, and then in team fights, you know, just use your ultimate. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the Santorin gank was pretty awesome. Um... Yeah, he got the first blood. For all the people that were yelling in chat, why did Santorin take it? Why did Santorin take it? Both Red Buff and Ignite were ticking at the same time, and Red Buff just won out. Yeah. So no. I I don't think it was a ter- I don't think it was the worst game, but this was you know s- stupid little things like Wild Turtle trying to take the race while his team is all backing. He's like, no, I'm just gonna take the race, and then gets killed. Like. I just, that, that I'm, I'm very wild, glad I'm not rooting for this team again. I was going to say, that's the most wild turtle moment of that whole tournament. Just him just deciding, eh, Wraiths, I've got time. It'll work itself out. What's the worst that can, oh my god, I'm dead. Like, it just, yeah. that's, that's such, it, it's such the epitome of every reason that they were trying to replace him in the midseason. And it just all came out in one beautifully terrible play. But, it, you know, I just... To me, it's the Malphite isn't a bad pick in and of itself, but it only works if you're a great team fighting team, if your communication is on point, if you can pick the engages in which the rest of your team can benefit, then you can sacrifice a little bit of the laning stuff to make that happen. And they never wanted to fight. You know, Crepo was making that kind of joke of, you know, how many dragons versus towers you give up. Like, is three dragons for three towers? Is that still in towers' favor? Four for four? Clearly, you know, when we get to five to five, I'd much rather have the fifth dragon. And TSM just never made a choice. And that's the worst part to me is I don't, I don't mind when teams lose because the other team is better. Because they tried something and it didn't work. We saw the Bangkok Titans lose three games yesterday, uh, two of which were not particularly close. But they were trying things. They were throwing fights out there. And every once in a while, they're able to have some success with it. This TSM team didn't try. And I'd be very frustrated with that if I'm a, a TSM fan. Just this idea of the team playing not to lose. And and we see a lot of these in their next game. But before we get there, we do need to talk about KTLGD. Because uh, I watching this game and then thinking about what happens with the rest of the day is really kind of funny. Why do you think LGD struggled so much here, given what we saw later in the day? Is it as simple as just why in the world did they give up Mordekaiser? Yeah, I think it just came down to the Mordekaiser. They really had no answer to that. 
I I did came out of the Morkaiser, and I think there's a very clear difference between the last two, the second two games, game two and game three that LGD played, and game one in Godvi. Godvi again was trying to play this control style mage, which I understand the, the Anivia is actually a great counterpick into Mordekaiser. Mm-hmm. Like completely understand. I think it was a great, great counterpick to what KT Rolster had. At the same time, though, it it's not Godvi's champion pool. It's not a good champion for him to have. And lo and behold, the greatest Anivia player of all time, Krepo, is sitting on the analyst desk going, you can tell how good Anivia player is because of these three things. And Godvi can't do any of those three things. Yeah. And, and you know, Godvi, you know, people who really follow China will point out that Godvi played so many different mid lane champions over the course of the entire LPL season, you know, even going right. back to spring. Uh, he doesn't play as many as Faker, but no one plays as many as Faker. But he's, like, right up there in that kind of deep champion pool. Anivia is not necessarily one of those. Uh, this is an Anivia that I really feel like they watched the game that Origin had last week and said, this theoretically works. Let's try to do this. And it was, it was the same example of why LGD was 0-4 at this point. They never played the style that was an LGD style, with the exception of one really weird game in which they picked Diana mid, uh, mid for Godvi, and he just was terrible anyway. Uh, but really, you know, you pick the Darius in the first round, guess what? Korean players know how to play Renekton, and we already knew that's a good counter to Darius. And, you know, it, you know Flame is a good top laner, but he's good in various specific situations. But but here's the thing, like, the, the thing with the Darius pick is, Godvi and Flame are not good Lulu players. No. So you're you're already, like, handicapping yourself by having to take, like, by not taking Lulu. Yeah. And it just, like, it, so, so Flame doesn't take Darius, and you hand over Lulu and Darius to KT Rolster, so they have Mordekaiser, Lulu, and Darius? Like, Well, that's the problem. They, you, you never should have let the Lulu through. That should have been your third ban, and you just, if they want to, or, or either way, you ban the Mordekaiser, one of them, and then you let KT pick the other one, and then you at least don't have to worry about Lulu, Mordekaiser, and, oh crap, we have to pick Darius in the first round. Yeah. It was just a terrible pick and ban strategy, and they got exploited. And and this is not to take away from anything that KT did. Uh, someday, once again, showing why I think he's the best uh, top laner in the world. He, he came down from a CS deficit, which is something that Flame does particularly well, is get those CS leads. And, and he came back from that and got the double kill in the, in the red side jungle, I think, for... Uh, for K, uh, for LGD, and it turned out really well for this team. Pickaboo had one of the best Thresh plays I have ever seen in this game. That hook to get the Alistar off the lantern so that he could save his teammate uh, yeah. was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I It, it, it reminds me of, of back when Mato was just you know untouchable. I, I, can't, I can't remember a support just pulling off something that mechanically brilliant other than Mata in, in a while. And it just cemented the fact that, to me, I think KT has two of the best five players in the world at their position. And yet somehow they couldn't take a single game off of SKT, which is with, with in, the, in the Korean finals. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what this means. But Does, does that say that KT Rolster has, uh, has 
improved that much since the spring fi- since the summer finals, or does that just say that SKT is that much better than everyone else? I think here's the problem. I think KT is significantly better than they were in the finals because I think a top lane meta that allows these carry top laners means that you don't have to rely on Nagne and Arrow to have great games every game. Nagne right. had, had a couple great games uh, today, and we'll get to mm-hmm. one of those in a little bit. But certainly, he's not a guy you want to rely to be great every game. And same with Arrow, who, you know, again, sometimes really great, sometimes not so much. Now you know someday he is going to be a hard carry every game, and that's brilliant. And it would be if it wasn't for the fact that Marin is probably the second best top laner in the world. Yeah, that, that was what I was just going to say. Like, okay, <laughs> well, now SKT has shown this world that they are just as capable of playing through Marin, and I and Marin is probably as good as someday. And, and that's the problem, right? It's like, okay, so if these top laners are a wash, or at least very close to a wash, and not, so close that even if someday is the best, and it is an argument for sure that I think is interesting given how these groups have shaken down, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be a, a huge advantage for either side. Right. right. Then, then you're looking at Faker versus Nagne. And you're looking at Bang versus Arrow. And you're looking at the experience that Bangy has versus the kind of predictable jungle pathing of score. And, you know, I had Emily Rand on the show a couple weeks ago, and she was talking, you know, she's a big score fan, because to her, score is a guy you can solidly depend on to do certain kinds of things. But he is predictable in that sense. And Bangi, on the other hand, is a guy that maybe isn't quite as predictable, maybe sometimes gets caught out. And, and I brought up back before this whole tournament started some of the stats that worried me about Bangi. But as we've seen him in this tournament, A, he plays his best under the biggest spotlight. And B, he's a guy that seems to make the most out of every little play he gets. He doesn't make Told a whole bunch you. of plays, but he's he's very he's very efficient. Yeah, you, you were right. I was wrong. I, <laughs> I don't care about his stats. <laughs> I uh, I'll take the hit on that one. I was well again, my theory was that clear love, you know, we're, this is a little sidetrack, but my theory was that clear love as the best jungler in the world was gonna find a way to make that work. Little did I know that Marin was gonna overpower Amazing J so much that Clear Love was going to have to change the entire way he played to make it work, and EDG's just been really slow to react. So, so Clear Love might be Kate Upton, but Bengi is the whole package. I don't know if Clear Love is Kate Upton until he realizes that you have to gank the top lane once. <laughs> just once at all, really. I'd take that. I, it, it's put into question for me. I don't know who the other best jungler in the world would be, but I have to ask this question now. Clearly, I, I, in, and that's not to say Clear Love hasn't been the best throughout the year. Up until this Worlds, he was. He's making some really boneheaded mistakes right now. We're going to yeah. off-track it. we got to talk about yeah. uh, TSM versus KT. This is a game that I'd feel I, – I don't know. Do you feel better or worse about this game than you do about the opening game? Because this was a game that you literally get to watch TSM take a mid-inhibitor – after getting this Baron, getting these towers, you know, this a couple brilliant fights that really went their way, and then 4-0, KT just closes and, and it's over. I, I was waiting for like, okay, I, I, I'm watching the game. I'm like, I know, like TSM has to lose this game. Like, how do they lose? Like, what <laughs> boneheaded mistake do they? Oh, 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 there we go. There's the, there's the ace. Got it. Done. All right. Ding ding. Yeah. Turkey's done. I yeah. Whatever. 
I'm, I don't feel any better or worse. I, if anything, what today taught me is that none of these players will be on TSM next year, except maybe Wild Turtle, but I doubt that. Well, Wild Turtle's the one guy they were trying to replace, so if he's the one who stays, it'll be like when I'm a cutie pie step down from Dignitas because they wanted to replace Kiwi Kid, and then Kiwi Kid stayed, and then they replaced uh, him with Core JJ, and that was the thing that happened. I, I, I think I, I tweeted it out last night. The only person on this K, on this uh, TSM roster that is still here next year is Reginald. I don't think Loco's back. I don't think Lust Boy's back. I don't think the the analyst. I, I, I don't remember his name. I apologize. Um, he's not back. I don't think a single player on this on this lineup is back. And for those of you morons that when I commented on Last Shadows. T- tweet about Bjergsen going back to Europe. Yes, I understand he's under contract until 2018. But if you've watched any interaction between Bjergsen and Reginald on the last like three episodes of TSM Legends, it literally looks like a, an interaction between a parent and a teenage girl. Bjergsen is checked out, and he doesn't care. He does not care what Reginald has to say. To the point that uh, this moment sticks out for me, and it's funny because Turtle was also wearing it. But there's a moment in the, the most recent episode where they're all going to get on stage, and Reginald says, hey, don't wear the sweatshirts on stage. And guess who's wearing his sweatshirt on stage? Bergson. <laughs> I know that's really stupid, and people are like, come on, you're kind of grasping at straws here. It happens in professional sports. Bjergsen is either going to hold out, or he's going to be playing somewhere else, and someone will buy his contract. Yeah, there's going to be a buyout clause. I mean, I, we've been saying this for a, a little while. I've talked to multiple sources within the European region that are telling me that he is really close to a couple teams, that he's become very friendly with a couple different organizations that I think he would be a much better fit for. I'll put it this way. If, if Reggie wants to do right by his players, Dyrus is going to leave. There's no reason to bring back Santorin. You're getting rid of Loco, which means you're getting rid of Lost Boy, and you never really wanted Wild Turtle. And the question becomes at that point, do you keep Bjergsen and force him to rebuild with these four other guys and essentially make him Froggen, except with less of, of creative power over who he's playing with? Is that what you want to do to a guy that single-handedly, or I shouldn't say single-handedly, but was one of the largest factors in taking a TSM team that had gotten crushed by Cloud9 at the end of Season 3 and was struggling to find their way back on top, helps them win Season 4, helps them get out of groups, helps them win the spring split of Season 5. And like, is that how you want to treat that guy? Is, is that the organization you want to be where you would force him into a position that would undoubtedly make him miserable because rebuilding like that makes everyone miserable? I, I can't imagine that's how Reggie wants to play this. If nothing else about Reggie, and I could say a lot of things, both positive and negative about Reggie, he's a guy that tends to do right by his players. He's done right by the odd one in the way that he set him up within the administration of that system. He's done right by a lot of the, you know, the other players that he's let go and giving people like X-Special a chance to go thrive somewhere else, even when it was to a big rival at the time. I think he's going to do the right thing by Bjergsen. I'm not saying he has to, because he doesn't. And I would be very, very curious to see how a holdout would go down, given that you know the only time we've ever seen that before was forgiven on the Copenhagen Wolves, and that was only one split. This is through 2018. I don't know how that. I don't know how any of that works, and I'm certainly not the lawyer who breaks that down. 
But I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say Reggie does right by Bjergsen. The the only problem with that is that it can incredibly harm the TSM brand. Like, Reginald has to be very, very careful with how this offseason plays out because there is a chance. Remember, Dyrus rumored that he when he retires, he's going to release this huge dissertation basically mm-hmm. about his career basically an autobiography you know an autobiography a memoir whatever i don't think that it's going to be completely destructive of tsm just like i don't think it's going to be completely destructive of riot which i think is what most of the content will be it'll be about riot's control over the game and T- and tsm and reginald's control over tsm mm-hmm. but you have to understand, if that's going to go the way that I think it's going to go, Dyrus is not going to be in a position like Odwin's going to be in a position with TSM. He's probably going back home and is either going to just kind of fall off, out, you know, go out of the spotlight and not stream and not care about it anymore and go on with his life, or he's just going to be a separate streaming personality by himself, which I really hope so because I want to see him stream again. I want to see him duo queue with Odwin all day, just like they did back in Season 2, and it's the most entertaining thing on the planet. Yeah, that can be extremely damaging because Dyrus is the one player that no matter what you think of anyone on TSM, you always love Dyrus Mm -hmm. as poorly as he plays. He he's the big lovable dude with the pillow. Mm -hmm. Like people, there were people that hated the Rain Man. There were people that hated Chaos. There were people that actually disliked Odd One because they thought he was awkward and weird and whatever. There are blatantly people who hate Reginald. There are people who dislike Wild Turtle. Which I don't understand with that smile. Like, on and on and on. Darius is the only player where if you look at him, everyone goes, yeah, you know, he had some bugs, but I really li- like I like the guy. Yeah. I don't think there's a single player person on the planet that's like, Darius is a d- I hate him. He certainly has made a lot of fans over the years, and I think that all of that is well-deserved. I think he's done a ton for this community, and I think that he's a guy that I hope whatever he ends up doing, whether he sticks with the TSM brand or not. He did make a very, you know, make sure you guys keep rooting for TSM or whatever, which, you know, sure he's going to say that while he's still wearing the TSM jacket, you know, and fans are cheering for TSM behind him. I, I get it. But whether whatever he ends up doing, I think the fans are going to support him. I think he's got a very bright streaming career ahead of him, which is what he's indicated so far he wants to do. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh the actual post actually do you want to talk about the post game interview now because we're kind of yeah i, I think him. we've gone on on, on a huge dyrus rant and then we can just focus on the other three teams at this point yeah so i mean is, is there anything in that last interview that you know really you know as, as a person who has been on record as saying as soon as dyrus leaves i don't care about tsm anymore what was that last speech to you it it, it is quintessential dyrus from any any interview that he's had, any interaction that he's had, he is extremely hard on himself when it comes to TSM's fans and his fans. And watching him apologize to the fans for failing them, essentially, for not making it out of groups, for playing so poorly the past year, it is heartbreaking. And uh, we talked about it in the in the pregame the thread that's on reddit about malphi ultimates and whatever you know whoever actually made that thread and for the mods who let it through i have you know three very choice words for you that i'm not going to say on the show because i've already sworn too many times (laughs) um but we need to remember that this is a guy who's made every single regional final for north america Mm -hmm. he has made it to world's 
all five years. And besides Yellowstar is the only person to do that. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that every time he gets to the international stage, yes, he plays poorly, but some of it isn't his fault. Some of it is that teams view view his the style that TSM plays, and that's their weak link, and we can go abuse that. Fine, whatever. We need to remember that this is a guy that he tries his hardest, and he has had moments that when he is needed to rise up, I, I'm thinking about the LMQ series mm-hmm. where they come back, and there's the you know the the he's playing Mundo, and he like gets two kills on Ackerman's Renekton in a row, and you're just like. Holy crud, like, it's Dyrus, you mm-hmm. know? This is the guy that invented the taunt and laugh spam. Like, there's no new, there's no Nunu bot laugh if Dyrus doesn't first do it with Cinched. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a guy who, who, who his iconic champion is the trolliest thing in the game. We need to, this, this next couple days, while there's some downtime, we need to be celebrating him. Because one, he's not going to be the only retirement here at Worlds. I, there's probably going to be one or two more. So let's give him his due. Let's all remember him. You know, uh, you know. There, there's always the joke about at funerals, people say, "When I die, don't cry. Have a party. Have an open bar. Have fun. You know, remember me for how I live, not because I'm dead. That type of thing. Mm-hmm. He's not dead, but we need to have kind of the same reverence and the same respect. And I know myself, I'm, I'm. You know, gonna go back and probably watch old season two games just to to remind myself that you know there was a reason I rooted for him as a player. As poorly as as he's been playing now, you know, there's a reason yeah. that uh, that he's probably one of my favorite players of all time. Yeah, I mean, I, I am I am by no means a TSM fan. It's never been my thing. I was Team Dynamic back at season two, and and those vods, you know, those that season three spring playoff run Ugh. still means something to me, and. And that's so much less history than people who have been following TSM for five years. I, that's it's it's rough. It's it's rough when you see one of your favorite players go. You know, I I remember, you know, as as an Atlanta Falcons fan, I remember when Terrence Mathis finally hung it up, or Jesse Tuggle, and having grown up with that guy in my childhood and everything I associated with football, I associated with some of those players. And that's what Dyrus is for anyone who's ever loved TSM. He's a guy that you loved, that was a great person within the community, that made people laugh, that made people care, and was breathtakingly honest in that last interview um, in a way that I, as someone who didn't think I would care all that much about you know, what that meant because it just wasn't a player that meant a lot to me, I... I hated seeing that i it, it it spoke to me and i hope that everyone that uh everyone who ever enjoyed watching dyrus play uh just remember that this this was a legend in the league of legends this guy really accomplished something that again we we only know one other guy who has and and, and that's something to be celebrated and I'm, he he was he was the original epic gamer yeah that's you know at the end of the day that's that's what he was, and that's what he'll always be. And shout out to him for that. And uh, and I wish him nothing but the best in his career going forward. Um, just a quick note on KT in this game. Uh, they should really learn how to play against a Vigar. That's something that's going to punish them going forward in this tournament. Bjergsen had way too many opportunities because they just didn't know how to play around the AoE stun. That's something they need to work on because they almost threw away one of the best Nagne Azir games I've seen in a very long time. Um, but let's move on because we need to. Um, 
OG versus LGD. Again, we already said we're not really going to talk about DSM later, so I feel like this Speaking is, of writing obituaries... Yeah, this is uh, rumors of LGDs from um, Demise. Can I, uh, can I read out a quote right here? Um, Imp said when asked about um, you know, what went wrong and why, uh, and, and why did he think they were able to perform in the last couple of days, he said, quote... This we as a team we finally regained our spirits when we had nothing else to lose. That is the quote from a guy and a team that was so incredibly stressed and hung up by the pressure that came in with everyone expecting all of this stuff from them. And then this is something to remember about the LGD story that I don't think we ever really took the time to talk about because you know when we look at when we look at the stuff we can only see what's happened on the rift, right? We can't make up some mental narrative that explains this stuff until we hear it from them. But this was a team, they finished fifth place in the regular season for the LPL. They were not considered a top four team. They were six, 12 and four, which means they went, they tied more often than anything else, but they didn't have a lot of two O victories. They were very middle of the pack uh, in a region that was very tough and had a lot of great teams. They made it to the playoffs, had a great run, and destroyed EDG in a semifinal series nobody saw coming. And then was able to take out Quan Zhu in a five-game series that really could have gone uh, either way. And everyone suddenly was anointing this team that had never seen themselves as that level of team as a world's potential favorite, as a team that could... That could come in here and dominate. And I think that when that didn't happen on day one, they just never mentally got there until they were finally no longer able to stress about, can we make it out of groups? What do we need to do to fix this? And as soon as they finally played the style of game that we've been wanting them to play this whole tournament, they crushed. I mean, this, this is not a, like, like, not mixing words here. That Diana that Godby played was everything we thought it was going to be the first time you locked it in. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in your mind, is there anything you can point to outside of the clearly you know, huge mental stuff that you saw change with LGD, both in this game and the game against TSM, since we've already talked about TSM so much? I, I think it 100% had to do with the weight came off their shoulders. They, they had absolutely nothing to play for and nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's an NFL quarterback, and I can't remember who it was, um, but after after he lost a uh, a Super Bowl, and then he went on to win another one a couple years later, uh, after he won that Super Bowl, he said the most humbling thing that I ever could have done was been a favorite in the Super Bowl and lose. Hmm. Um, and I feel like that is very much you, – you talk about Imp. I think this is very much – this was the – Imp has been known for being the huge, you know, cocky, arrogant, you know, player. I'm the best player in the world, blah, blah, blah. This was a slap in the face to him. Mm-hmm. And I think personally, Imp is going to come back next year, and he's going to be stronger than he ever was. I think he's going to be an insanely strong AD carry. Like, he's going to take the next step, essentially. And with what I see is Faker kind of, uh, I don't want to say becoming complacent, but kind of taking a step back, you know, letting Marin do all the hard carrying. I think Imp is going to have a real strong chance at superseding faker um depending on how the rest of this tournament goes but superseding faker is the best player in the world and having a very and being an odds-on favorite for me to potentially winning worlds next year um 
I don't know if he does that in China. I don't know if he goes back to Korea. I don't quite know what happens with him. Maybe he's the new AD carry for TSM next year. Who knows? <laughs> um, but I, I would say just the way that they lost, pay special attention to whatever team Imp is on next year. Um, but yeah, I think it's just completely the, the, the mental blocks were gone. Like, there's there's nothing to lose. Like, so what? You know, whatever they lose to Orion, what does it matter? They lose to TSM, what does it matter? Like, either go home all in six, and people are gonna joke about us being the same thing as Bangkok Titans, or you know, whatever. Like, yeah. we're already laughing stock. And, and I will say the couple of things you can point to. Uh, you put in both of those games, you put Godby on an assassin hard carry yep. that could split push. Yes. the Diana and the LeBlanc. Those yep. are the champions you should have been playing this entire time. That's, uh-huh. just, that's what he's best at. That's what works. Uh, Amp, you saw him on Graves and Vayne, people that could get kills and kind of, you know, Graves less so than Vayne, but just really take the game by storm if he gets ahead early. And that's what he should have been playing this whole time. You, you saw PYL, you know, not trying to make some crazy brand thing work. Oh, well, maybe I should just play this Kennen support that we know is really good. And, no, John. Uh, or, or John, excuse me. And, uh, and Tom Kench, and we can just roll from there. Yeah. And that worked out really well. And you know what? Inflame might not have the ceiling that Acorn has, but he does have a pretty nice floor. His uh, Whatever you saw from him today, his, his Olaf was pretty darn good. And he showed that uh, in, I believe, uh, yeah, he showed that in the first game. And, and in the second game, he showed his Darius. And, and this was... Yeah. This was bo- these were both very nice, and I think that you know is Flame a guy that we're going to be seeing this time next year? I don't know. Mm, probably I, not. I, I probably think this is the last we've seen of Flame, uh, just given how long his career has been and the fact that he spent most of this season on the bench. What I'm really interested in with a team like LGD specifically, um, this is a team that clearly wasn't mentally ready for this tournament. You know, people have brought up that there is some kind of cultural stigma around mental health within China. Uh, this is mm-hmm. one of those teams you would point to and say, man, a sports psychologist would be really helpful here. And that's just not something you're likely to get in China. Yeah. But more than that, I, I find it interesting. You know, a lot of these players, they went for the pig paydays and oh my God, there's just so much Chinese talent. And if you just merge a couple Korean guys in there and add, you know, the shot calling and the infrastructure, you can do exactly what Starhorn Royal Club did, and what, and what people forget is Starhorn Royal Club was not expected to make the run that they did. This was a team that did not come together until at the very, very end of that LPL regional and then managed to make this incredible run, mostly through having a much weaker side of the bracket than some of the other teams that, that made it to, you know, they made it to the bracket stage. I don't think the... Chinese talent plus a couple Koreans equals success formula is one that has ultimately proven to be this dominant thing that we thought it was going to be. And if last offseason was the offseason in which all this high-level talent made the exodus over to China, given how good Korea's been, as I think someone tweeted out, you know, last time in groups you had a 6-0 and Samsung White, 5-1 and Samsung Blue – uh, four and two, uh, Najin White Shield. What do we have this time? Oh well, we have a six and zero SKT, a five and one KT Rolster, and a four and two Ku Tigers. Losing all of that talent, and Korea is just fine. And all of that talent's looking at that and saying, maybe I should go home. I yeah, I 
think there will be quite a few of the Korean players that will go back home um, for reduced paychecks. I think you, there are certain players like Dade who clearly left for the paycheck in China that will stick, stick around mm-hmm. as long as they keep getting paid. Um, I think that some of these Koreans may wind up in North America because I think there are a lot of North American teams that are going to have some major roster overhauls. Absolutely. Um, and that actually could be the one thing that saves Loco Doco on TSM is if they bring in, you know, another Korean or two, which everyone's joking about. Flame, T- TSM flame, TSM flame. I, Jesus, I hope not. It, it, I gotta be honest, I, I might have to consider becoming a TSM fan if they do that. No. My, my love for season no. two CJ displays. Oh, let's talk about KT versus Origin then. This, this I think is just a continuation of the LGD game. And this was exposing the, the problems that uh, Orient's compositions have that they're so... If they get behind in one or two rotations, the game's over. They can't catch back up. And I thought uh, I thought KT Roaster just played masterfully. I thought the 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 rays of oh well you're gonna play double teleport we're gonna play quadruple teleport like with the Shen and the Rexai was just you know it's kind of it's kind of simple it's kind of silly but I thought it was very uh, ingenious and I think the Shen in particular really really screwed up a lot of what Orian was trying to do. Well, well, this is one of those things, right? When we talked at the beginning of the tournament, the reason the teleport is such a strong Summoner spell is because it constantly requires you to redo your calculations at any given time. Mm-hmm. And this is why Twisted Fate becomes super scary, especially when he has a teleport, because now you're having to take a, thir- you know, a third one into account. And now you have four of them in this one composition, and you're right, they, they couldn't keep up. And it, it was the perfect storm for the SOAS game we all knew was coming. The SOAS had played five games before this point. Without having one of those, oh my god, Soaz is, is out of position constantly, and he's trying to make too many plays that he shouldn't be making, and he's not playing as safe as he needs to, given the lack of words that he has up there. Like we, I was waiting for that, this whole group, and it came to a head, of course, in the worst possible moment. Uh, this was a terrible Soaz game. Uh, I, I'm not saying he's a bad player, and I certainly don't think he's going to have a game that bad again, but... Man, oh man, you cannot afford to have a bad game as a top laner when you're laning against someday. That is not a recipe for success going forward, uh, I think is safe to say. Was there anything on Origin's side that you think they can take as a positive from this? Niels is playing really, really well mm-hmm. as a whole. Yeah. I- he, is, he is playing really, really well. He is not, he is not shirking from his... his uh, his role of having to be the the second, you know, the primary carry on this team, not even the secondary carry. I think he's the primary carry on this team. He's not shirking away from it. He is, his positioning has probably been the best out of any of the, uh, the Western 80 carries outside of sneaky. Uh, and he's a rookie. I, I just, he, he's very, very good talent. And uh, he is no longer just the, a reckless light. You know, press R utility eighty carry. He is he has fully come into his own as I can play the utility eighty carries. I can play the you know the late game scaling eighty carries. And I don't think if if Orion gets doesn't get farther in this, if they only get to the quarterfinals and they lose, um, it's not because of Niels. It's just mm-hmm. because Soaz is probably a little too inconsistent, and mm-hmm. Peke is probably his ceiling isn't high enough. 
Yeah. And, and and to be fair, I don't think XPK was the problem in this particular game. No, no, no. Had, it, was de- it was definitely Soaz. He had uh, he had that great solo kill on Nagne when Nagne got super greedy uh, towards yep. the end of that game. That was it, it wasn't, you know, an incredible outplay, but it was really funny to watch. Just I, I could watch that replay about five times because it was just such Nagne greed and XPK is just like, "Oh, I mean, if you want me to have this kill, I guess I'll take it." Um but it's it, it is interesting to see where Origin goes. I think the one team that you'd really have to be afraid of as a top seed is SKT. If you're paired with Flash Wolves, if you're paired with potentially Cloud Nine, this could be this could be a team that makes it to the semifinals. Yeah, or Orient, Orient will be happy as long as they aren't paired with paired with SKT. If yeah. they're paired paired with SKT, it's unfortunate. Which is funny because I, I also think that this might be the only team in the tournament who has a, a decent shot of taking a game off of SKT because they do such weird things in the picks and bans. There's going to be one game that might catch SKT off guard before they close this out. Whereas with KT, like they're way too familiar with KT. I think if, if Fnatic has fixed their problems from last week Maybe. and don't play so arrogant and so cocky, I think they can take a game off of SKT too. Uh, one thing I'm just I, – I don't remember um, in the draw for, for this, they can, they can draw teams from the same region now, right? I believe so, they can. So, so technically, or if Fnatic finishes one in that group, Orion could run into Fnatic potentially, right? I, I believe that – I will uh, – I'm double-checking that right now. Okay. Uh, in the quarterfinals, um, a first-place team will play a second-place team. No two teams from the same group will be placed in the same half of the bracket. There is no limitation as to what okay. region these teams are from. Okay, so the only thing is Orion can't play against KT Rolster. Uh, EDG can't play against SKT, that yeah, type of thing. Exactly. Um, I, think, I think the ultimate like Western, like, Western hopes and dreams is that KT, EDG, Koo, and SKT all up, end up on one side of the bracket, and Flash Wolves, Orion, and Cloud9, and Fnatic, or whoever else gets out of that group, is on the other side. I think that'd be, like, the ultimate, like, yes, please! I mean, it's, it's in play. I mean, well, one of those teams in Group B would have to be on that side, just because you have to have uh, the other team goes to the opposite side of the bracket. No, you could have. Oh, they have to go opposite. I got you. Yeah. Oh, so, they can't meet in the semis either. Right. Right. Okay. So you could have, but you could have Koo Tigers, SKT, KT Rolster, and whoever gets second from Group B. Oh man. On one side, and that allows Flash Wolves, EDG, Origin, and whoever wins Group B, which is could very possibly be Cloud Nine. But before we get into into the Group B action, which we were gonna break down and guess all those lines. We do have to talk about the Unicorn Challenge. Uh, I had Origin over TSM and KT over LGD in a two-team multi-bet at the beginning of the day. And that was where the positives for both of us ended, I think it's safe to say. Uh, My KT TSM looked great until uh, LGD beat Origin and ruined that two-team multi-bet. Origin over KT, not going to happen. And uh, my... Naive belief that maybe TSM would have one last really great game to end Dyrus's career strong uh, proved to be a less than stellar idea on my part. But Walter, the good news for me is that it didn't go much better for you, did it? 
No. You you don't have your bets ahead of you, do you? Uh, uh, no, I do. I do. I put 10 on, on TSM and then 10 on LGD for starting off. I just figured, you know, there there's some good odds here potentially for upsets. Um, I wanted to get them in. You know, and I thought, as I said on Twitter, like, that'll set the course for the entire day. Mm-hmm. When neither of those went through, I then put uh, 50 mm-hmm. on uh, KT beating TSM and LGD losing to Orion, which didn't happen. Right. And if I had been awake and hadn't fallen asleep because I was exhausted, mm-hmm. uh, I probably would have bet on LGD over TSM after watching, the LGD, after watching LGD beat Orion. But I didn't, so... I lost. Yeah, well, it's okay, though, because you're still in the lead, just less so. Uh, this puts you at a, at a total of 893.17 Unicoins. I uh, lost overall, but I kept it to 675.34. That, uh, that winning on the first multibet really minimized the damage. So you are now ahead by 217.83 Unicoins. I have caught up by 56.14, which is really uh, not, you know, amazing, but enough that my charity, Nothing But Nets, which is a charity that sends nets to underprivileged families in Africa to help keep them uh, from getting bit by mosquitoes that can often carry malaria in areas of the world where it's very difficult to get those malaria vaccines out to them, uh, might feel a little bit better. At least I'm closing the gap. They're still in play. They're not completely uh, overwhelmed right now, though your charity is, is a great cause as well. Yes, uh, to write love on her arms uh, is a very, very uh, good charity, and I'm glad I got to pick it. Um, it helps with uh, bringing awareness to mental illness, uh, especially in the forms of depression, suicidal thoughts. Uh, they're typically associated with bands that you'd find, like at Warp Tour, that kind of uh, alternative rock style. Uh, but have also done thing with uh, things with professional athletes, including uh, Alex Morgan and Abby Wambuck of the U.S. women's soccer team, as well as a laundry list of YouTube stars, including I think like PewDiePie and uh, and Smosh. So I'm um, I'm still feeling confident, you know. Um, when you get into like these all day groups, mm-hmm. like where where all the games for the groups are being played in one day, it can kind of get funky because you you know you have to react to okay, well LGD crushed o- Orion, like, okay, they're probably going to crush TSM now, or Orion didn't play really good against LGD, so they're probably going to lose going against SKT. Like, it, it's just kind of, it's a lot harder to bet on the games uh, ahead of time. Yeah, well, and that's the, that's kind of the fun of it, right, is you can, you can take that stance of, oh, I know everything that's going to happen, and I'm just going to place all my bets ahead of time, and that's probably going to be the best odds, because they're not being shifted away from what your eyes have been telling you so far over the course of the day. Or you can wait and you could hope that you can sneak in a couple that somehow get better or allow you to have some teasers later when you feel like you have more information. But these one-game sample sizes, I mean, again, if you watched that first LGD game yesterday, or yeah, I guess today, when you're probably listening to this, you, I mean, you didn't think that it was going to go their way. You thought they were probably going to end 0-6. They looked terrible. They looked completely lost. And then they won the next two games. So it can uh, it can often go both ways. And it makes this stuff fun. But it makes – you know what makes this challenge fun for me, Walter? Is that I'm currently winning 5-4 to four in our Guess the Lines challenge. And we have some games in Group B that I think are going to be particularly close and particularly interesting uh, as far as the gambling lines went. So we start – with AHQ versus Invictus. Now, this is another one of those. Uh, you don't have as much faith in the LMS as I have over the course of this tournament. 
But we did see Flash Wolves make a great Week 2 recovery with a 3-0 performance from them. What do you think is more likely? AHQ coming out of their funk and putting out a strong performance to open up this day? Or Invictus Gaming being able to overcome the massive weights that are Kid and Kitties and show China that maybe all is not lost as far as getting two teams to the quarterfinals? I, I have absolutely no clue. I am not. Th- this is the group that, out of all of them, scares me the most to gamble on. In, in all honesty, don't gamble on this. Th- there's way too much crazy stuff that can happen in this group. Yes. And because all of it's being played in one day, I, I would just say stay away. Unfortunately, I can't stay away. I have to make some bets here because I need to you know, keep my lead going. Uh, but I have no clue. I have no clue what version of AHQ is going to come out. I have no clue what version of Invictus is going to come out. Mm-hmm. But for AHQ to win, I think they need to get Ziv going in the top lane, and they need to get the bot lane going. And just Westor is just going to lose mid lane, and hopefully you could put him on something that can make an impact during uh, during the the mid to late game. Um, you know, an Ari maybe. You know. LeBlanc, I think, is probably a better choice than Ari at this point. Um, you know, just kind of leave Westor to his own devices and say, all right, we need to get, you know, we need to get the AD carry and we need to get the jungler going, or not the jungler, the top laner going. Uh, and that's how we're going to win games. That's how they won their game back last week. Invictus, on the other hand, needs to get Rookie going in the mid lane, and Kakao needs to be that aggressive, ganking, style jungler not playing these let me farm until i hit level six you know skarnar player he needs to play the elise he needs to play the lee sin he needs to play evelyn uh nocturne i think nocturne would be a great choice for for cacao to bring out here on this day yeah i think uh all of this would be very interesting i think one of the things that was very telling when you listen to cacao's interview after the invictus victory when these guys played last sunday was that he felt like this is a team where he'd sacrificed a lot of this early game aggressiveness that he was known for back in Korea because the team wanted him to play more passively, because they were a team that focused more on the late game. And what we learned last week, which I don't think we would have taken away with, we saw today's games, which were, as a general rule, particularly long. Um, But what we learned last week is that a lot of these games can be short, a lot of them can snowball out of control, and you cannot afford to let that happen. You need to find a way to get these uh, to get these kills and to get and uh, pressure onto all these side lanes to get the towers that you need. You need to play a particular style of game to make that happen. And playing for the long game isn't going to be the way to do it. Now, last time I think that banning the fizz worked out very well for Invictus. It seems like they had a very good handle on how to limit some of HQ's power picks. But on the mm-hmm. other hand. Invictus is now on red side, and I think that limits some of the bans that they can put through because you have to keep away the gangplank. You have to keep away the Mordekaiser as a general rule, and that puts AHQ in a potential play a comp that is much more similar to the composition that they wanted to play back at the beginning of all of this. So really what I think it comes down to is Who's going to play worse, Albus or Kitties, both of whom are in the bottom 10 in terms of KDA, both of whom are very high on the overall deaths uh, per game that we've seen so far. It's been a very rough world for both of them because neither one of them seems to have been able to play the way they want to. And it seems like whoever's able to exploit the weaknesses here is going to be the team that ends up taking this one. Where do you think the, the line is for this one? 
Invictus minus 175. Okay, you get this one. I said Invictus minus 200. It is Invictus minus 182. Okay. Which I find interesting because as a general rule, um, Invictus won last week. Right. uh, And it was minus 196. So you would think that the line would go up just because they, they won that game as convincingly as they did. I think AHQ is maybe getting a little bit of a blue side buff on that particular line. Mm-hmm. But I also think that minus 182 uh, is a particularly fair line for this. It gives AHQ plus 140, which I think is enough to be interesting. But it leaves Invict- – if you believe in Invictus, man, oh, man, do we have some parlays for you. Now we have to talk about Fnatic versus Cloud9. You and I have talked about Cloud9 and how much they improved from the regional stage, but also just how much a lot of these games could have gone the other way. I think this Fnatic Cloud9 game was a perfect example of a game that could have and potentially should have gone the other way. What do you think Fnatic's going to try to do differently in this game to make sure that they don't give Cloud9 that avenue to get back in? They need to not play so uh, so cocky. They need to, particularly uh, Huni needs to leave his ego at the door and realize that you aren't just going to be able to roll over people here. Uh, you know, this is a world stage. Even the war, you know, even the seventh best team in North America plays better because it's worlds because there's something more on the line and just being in this kind of environment brings the best out of you. So I think they need to leave the ego at the door. Uh, I think they need to focus more on getting reckless ahead of Sneaky because Sneaky has has shown that he might be the best 80 carry here at Worlds. Um, yeah, I get Bang has the incredible like KDA, but I think Sneaky as a whole has probably played the best and has been nearly individually willing this team to victories uh, if it wasn't for Incarnation uh, and and. Obviously, high shot calling, which is you know the most important thing on the planet is that high knows how to shot call in English. Uh, so I think that they need to give up the kind of hoony dominated focus. Uh, go after sneaky and lemon nation. Make them make mistakes. You have a much much uh, more mechanically talented bot lane just because lemon nation is kind of mediocre on his mechanics as much as he's improved i think you need to focus there i need you i think you need to take fabivan off of oriana and put him onto a a playmaker of some sorts um you could still do that with other control mages but oriana is not really a playmaker in laning phase or really in kind of a rotational phase Mm -hmm. uh beyond her ultimate i think you need to give fabivan more tools to allow him to make plays and move Cooney off of this carry style and more onto this. I'm a big meat shield in front of everyone. I'm bringing some utility because I'm playing, you know, Olaf and I can just run through all of them. I'm playing Nar. I'm playing, you know, whatever. Um, I think they need to shift away from Hooney being the carry to let's get Reckless really going and let's get Fabivan uh, on on something that he can make some plays with. I agree. I think if any team is going to try to take on that. You know, LGD when it works, the KT rollster, that, that mid lane teleport Diana that just focuses on all this split pushing and really yeah. tries to put pressure across the map. This is how you have to take down Cloud9 because Cloud9 is very good at objective trading. They're good at taking what you give them. But if you don't give them anything, 
you know, if you're if you're if you're kind of everywhere on the map and can constantly respond everywhere on the map, then it's just a matter of managing your teleports better than they do, which is something that maybe Huni hasn't been so great on, but Fabivin in their in their win against Invictus looked like that was something he could do. Um, I'm not, you know, it's it's weird to say to kind of ignore the top lane because you have Huni versus Balls, and Balls should be someone that you should be able to exploit. Historically, that has been true. But I do agree with you that putting so much emphasis there, this is one of the few teams with Cloud9 where you really do need to minimize the strengths. You need to minimize the ability for Incarnation and Sneaky to turn these fights around, to have these Baron steals that just never should have happened, and just play the game in such a way that you don't give them the out that they're looking for. And let Fabivan hard carry you, because Fabivan can. He's one of the best mid laners that Europe has to offer, and... If Xpeke can look really good at this Worlds after his on and off performance we saw throughout the season, I think Fabivin can blow some people away with some of the performances he's capable of. Where do you think the line is on this game? Fnatic minus 190. Okay, you get this one as well. I said Fnatic minus 200. It is minus 179. Okay. And this is when every Cloud9 fan starts getting a little mad. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep I mean, going. I, 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 I wouldn't necessarily be mad about it. I mean, fine. You're a Cloud9 fan. You make money off of this if you're willing to gamble on them. The problem is that, again, they aren't favorites. Like, they throughout the entire course of the year. Let's not forget, Fnatic was undefeated in the European LCS. Mm-hmm. Cloud9 was the seventh best North American team. Yes, their regional run was phenomenal. Yes, their play last week was phenomenal. The casinos are waiting for them to just you know, fall off a bridge. Like yeah. variance here. And, and they're waiting for, okay, there's no way that Cloud9 can keep up this level of play for this long. When are they going to fall apart? So they're not going to give Cloud9 some crazy favorite line when there's a very good chance Cloud9 can go 0-3 this week. I think that's fair. I, I, I agree with you. This is one of those regression to the mean kind of teams. I, again, I've mentioned on a couple of these podcasts, so I'm not going to go into the whole diatribe again. But there are plays you can point to in each of their victories that if they go the other way, Cloud9 loses. And mm-hmm. Cloud9 is 0-3 at this point in the tournament. And, Absolutely. And Yamato Cannon isn't mocked on, on Reddit relentlessly over the past week and a half or so. Um, you know, it's, it's just those little things. And I think... It'll be interesting to see. This next game is the one where I, I think it'll be the most interesting to see. AHQ versus Cloud9. AHQ, as we've talked about back when they met on day one, they went for this really weird comp. It had no wave clear. It basically required them to dominate across the board. It really felt like a lack of respect for Cloud9 when they picked this composition. I don't think they're going to make the same mistake again. How do you think AHQ is going to try to attack Cloud9 given what they're capable of. Uh, abuse top lane. Go after balls. Mm-hmm. This, this again, guys. Set, get your tent ready. <laughs> get that campfire up in that tri-bush and camp, 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 camp. Mm-hmm. That is that is the... You're not going to beat Incarnation with Westor. Just, again, leave it. Let Westor get on a champion where he can just farm, be safe. You know, fine, he's going to lose out in his CS. Just put him on something safe so he doesn't die and he can make plays in the mid-game. And the bot lane, I mean, you can go after the bot lane. I, I, I think AHQ's bot lane is, is pretty good, but still, like, Sneaky and Lemonation are arguably one of the better two dual lanes at 
you know, one of the better duo lanes here at Worlds. And I'm saying this about Lemon Nation of all people. <laughs> go figure. Um, I, I just think you just go after balls and you just try and get Ziv huge. And you get him on something that snowballs very easily. Gnar, uh, Darius, Fiora, you know, Olaf, whatever you're going to put him on. Get him on something that after you get him a couple kills, he can just take care of that lane by himself and just snowballs. And then you can go and make these mid-game rotate, you know, four-on-four four four kind of rotational plays uh, with the rest of the team. Yeah. I think this is one of the few times in which I think the LMS team rather than the North American team really wants to take advantage of a lane swap situation. Aldous mm-hmm. is a guy that struggled a lot so far this tournament. Yes. But that's because he hasn't been able to roam like he wants to. And the one win they had against Fnatic, he was roaming everywhere. They were dictating the pace. Fnatic was trying to keep up with their, you know, their style, and that didn't work. What you need to do is you need to get Cloud9 to get in that chaos. Now, that sounds like something you wouldn't want to do against a guy like Hai, who seems to be such a good field master and kind of respond to this chaos well. But I can't think of a team that Cloud9 has played, you know, what, maybe Team Impulse? Like, what's the most chaotic team? North America just doesn't tend to play with that sense of just reckless abandon. And I think this is the time to push High and some of his jungle mechanics to the limit. Really make him and the rest of that team respond to everything all at once and and see if they can. And, and you do that by putting putting that pressure on Letting, you know, getting that first tower down and then letting Albus roam and trusting that you can make more plays with him and and Ziv just, you know, getting an advantage over balls once the lane swap subsides than you're going to get by playing a standard 2v2 and keeping Albus trapped in there and waiting for Hai to make that gank for Sneaky that gets Sneaky the two kills that he needs to start steamrolling this game. That's, uh, that, to me, is just something that you've, you've got to take into account uh, when you're a team like AHQ that just doesn't have the ability to straight-up play the same way that a Fnatic might. Where mm-hmm. do you think the line is on this game? I think the line on this is AHQ minus 160. Okay, you get this one. I, I said Cloud9 minus 130. I thought Cloud9... With a 3-0, maybe we start giving him respect against an AHQ team that was very hit or miss. Uh, it is AHQ minus 141. Okay. So, yeah, you know, and this was an AHQ minus 217 last time. I, I, I'm surprised that of all the games, Cloud9 didn't find a way to become favorites in this one. I thought that this was going to be... I'm not. You're, you're not. I'm, I'm, I'm just really not. I'm really not. Cloud9, like you said, I, the casino is probably... Are just as smart as realizing that mm-hmm. Cloud9 could be 0 and 3 just as easily as they are 3 and 0 right now. Yeah. So you don't like by them making Cloud9 favorites in any of these games, they're potentially throwing a lot of like they're potentially throwing money away because they're giving teams that should be considered favorites, you know, underdog lines. Like at worst, at best, TSM or not TSM, Cloud9 should be given a push. Like that's at best. It should be dead odd, you know, dead odd even. Mm-hmm. At best, that's what this line should be. But especially these first two games with Cloud Nine being on red side, I'm you. They only played one game against Invectus on red side, and that was the. I think that was the one that he played Skarnar, right? If uh, I'm if I'm remembering correctly, that is correct. 
It did not go. Actually, no, no. The the Skarner game was the game against Fnatic. No. So what? What did? What did? I'm double checking what that, he played against them. That was the game in which Kitties just got destroyed. He played Bard. Yeah. And he ended yeah, yeah, up yeah, that was that the... his own Nar ultimate from a. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was guy. the Echo mid lane from Rookie and the the Kitties you know terrible Bard game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I still uh, haven't forgiven Kitties for that one. By the way, I want I want him to know out there somewhere wherever he is. Obviously, listening to this podcast. Uh, you owe me and every other fan of this team at least like a, a single scoop ice cream cone from the local ice cream place because this <laughs> not just you you really man you you let you let you let us down there. I hey, I, I was watching Anthony Bourdain the other day and there's like a really really good uh uh ice cream place on like La, uh Ile Saint Louis mm-hmm. uh in in Paris like yeah. Right there, and they make it like absolutely fresh. Like he was eating a, a wild cherry ice cream with salted caramel, that and it was good. like fresh wild cherries, like delicious. So there you go, kitties yeah. ice cream for my man. Yeah. So we'll have, we'll have to save the rest of that for the ice cream podcast that'll be coming <laughs> later out. But uh, but we're gonna move on to Invictus versus Fnatic. Now this was a game uh, where the first week it was even odds. No one really knew what to make of Invictus at this point. No one knew how Fnatic was going to react at this point. Everyone kind of thought that these were the two teams that were the biggest threat to, you know, get out of this group and to potentially win the group. It obviously didn't play out that way in week one, but it was this this weird kind of cacao Skarner game as you brought up. What do you think <laughs> is going to change in this game? And, and, and do the adjustments that these teams are going to make, uh, who gets helped most by that? I am foreseeing that Skarnar will not be played. <laughs> Are you willing to go on out on such a bold limb there? That is that is my bold prediction for this game. Um, no, I, I think again, I, IG. The problem is kid and kitties, mm-hmm. so you have to get. You have to hope that Fnatic is playing this really um, egotistical kind of top lane centric style, and you have to hope that you can just abuse uh Rainover and Huni playing that way. I don't think that's the way that Fnatic is going to play. I think they're going to move to a bot lane centric letting Reckless abuse Kid and Kitties. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I I I don't think Invictus wins this game at all. Nine times nine times out of 10 I think Fnatic wins this game. It's a harsh one for Invictus to win. I think this this would be the game where I want Kakao to actually legitimately play Nocturne. And you just Probably. any time that they try to gank bot, you just hit that ultimate, whether you're close or not, and mm-hmm. just scare and scare Fnatic away, and prolong that reckless hyperscale as long as possible, and then trust that Rookie, who's supposed to be one of the three best mid laners in the world, can can beat Forbidden in that lane, and you can take advantage with ZZ Tai on on Huni, who has had several flaws explode, exposed in this whole thing. You know, again, this is one of those where you look at Invictus; they are blue side. This means Fnatic's going to be the one who has to ban these power picks, and Invictus can go a little bit more targeted. So it'll be very interesting to see how all of this kind of changes. I, as an Invictus fan, am refusing to get my hopes up. I might do the three-team teaser where I just pick against Invictus in all three games and just either make a lot of unicorns or just totally counter-jinx this whole thing. Where do you think the line is on this, Walter? Hmm. I will let you know with zero three victory, uh, zero three lead right now. This would win you the challenge. You can get this. Fanatic minus one forty five. You do win this. So congratulations. 
this is when my low balling style comes into. Yeah, all of these were low. Um, I'm not going to get. Well, I'll, I'll, since you already won, I'll, I'll spoil did, this. Did you did you not listen to what I said at the beginning of the group? Don't gamble on this day. Like it's, no one knows what's going to happen. It's terrible. But here's the thing: the two team parlays. If you think so, you know what's going to happen are going to be incredible. You can make three two team parlays, and every single one of them is going to more than double your money if you win. No, don't. No, 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 no. If you're gambling on this, you're you need to gamble one game at a time. Do not do two team parlays. Uh, except maybe the first two. The first two, if you want to do a two-team parlay, good luck, fine, whatever. But from then on, I would not parlay anything. I'd be going game by game. I mean, it's not that I disagree with you. It's I, I guess I, I'm colored by the fact that this is our little challenge here. Okay. So like, besides, besides you, yeah. Besides, you need to catch up for the general public. Unless you're in some crazy competition to get a hundred dollars for a charity of your choice with your best friend, sponsored by Unicorn. <laughs> Don't parlay any of these games. I'm sorry, Unicorn, yeah. I, but as a as a gambling expert, you're just going to be mad at yourself because you're going to get the first game right and then you're going to get the second game wrong. Here's, just go one game at a time. Here's my gambling advice for anyone who is legitimately looking. Uh, I'm seeing that there's a, there's a really cool Counter-Strike Go tournament on right now. <laughs> the Frankfurt Major, I see a lot of that. There's the HTC Heroes bar, uh, Brawl. You can get... Plus uh, 145 on a team called the Kappa Wolves, whoever they are. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you have Kalento versus uh, these, uh, however you pronounce his name. Or Kalento versus Dog if you want to gamble on Hearthstone. Which really is, yeah, it's like gambling on a slot machine. Except the slot machine is called Unstable Portal. Like, any of or these. Or Grim Patron. Any of these would somehow be better bets than betting on any of these Group B games. At least until we've seen the first two. It is th- this game. This group can go either way. But now, I mean, Cloud Nine is three and zero right now, and based on what we're what we're saying in all these groups, and based on what the the gambling odds are saying, they might not make it out of this group. Like that's in play. This is the, anything can happen. Anything's possible. Um, it, it's a shame that you've already won this because I actually. I got one exactly, and the other one I'm within one point. So that's it, unfortunate for you, then. It really is. I screwed up all the other four, but that you know what? That's on me. I accept that. I'll have to learn and better myself in the future. So, so, so do I have to say that these two are like absurdly high? Uh, like it's Cloud Nine minus one million favorites against Invictus. I mean, it wouldn't really change much. Maybe you'll guess the same thing I do. You do, you know what? I mean? It's all well, it's all about the style points at this point for mm-hmm. you. You're like uh, you're like LGD. The whole challenge is over, but now you get to really unleash your skill. Cloud Nine versus Invictus. This is another one of those things where, if ever there was a game that would make me say Cloud Nine can get the fourth win and seal their spot out of groups, it's looking at Sneaky and looking at Kid and Kitties. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. No, that's that's very fair. <laughs> Very fair. <laughs> like I, especially well, after Invictus has Reckless just school them. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, this is one of those where I just I don't see what Invictus's plan here is unless they directly change the way that they use Cacao, and that's the big wild card that we'll know from game one tomorrow, uh, and will significantly change the odds in all of these games depending. If yeah. they still have this cacao, we're going to farm for the first 10, 15 minutes. Invictus gets crushed by Cloud9. Because I, I Cloud9 think, is, is way too good at that. I think this is, if 
Cloud Nine doesn't ban uh, Twisted Fate. You put Rookie on Twisted Fate and just have a big old party in the top lane. <laughs> yeah. And just literally just use every teleport and, uh, teleport on cooldown and just find balls and kill them. Yeah. And just and just like just just spread the kill. Like one kill goes to Cacao, one kill goes to you know ZZ Tai, one kill goes to uh, uh, Rookie. Like yeah. just keep spreading them around. And- I, I was gonna say you don't need to give any to Kitten Kitties. That won't help you in the long run. I mean, you could try, depending on how. Far I, I don't back like, you don't are. even want to stack all of them on ZZ tie because then like you, you I don't think rookie is necessarily going to go absolutely ham on incarnation. I think incarnation's proven that he can play against these top, mm-hmm. you know, these top tier mid laners and egg on my face from the beginning of the year when I said that I didn't think that incarnation was going to do well in Cloud Nine. It's not that I that I disagree. It's that I think that we have three games of incarnation looking like a top tier mid laner. And a whole bunch more evidence that incarnation is shaky, especially in big moments sometimes. He did very well in the regionals. Uh, in the North American regionals, that was the first time where we said, hey, this guy might actually really know what he's doing. But that is still, when you look at the respective sample sizes, I mean, this is rookie, right? Like, this is a guy who, for a lot of people, there was a time in which people were saying, man, is this the guy that overtakes Faker one day? I don't think anyone has ever had that thought about incarnation. I'm not saying that, you know, Rookie is still that guy or yeah. that Rookie is necessarily going to have this kind of, you know, insane perfect performance every game. But against a guy like Incarnation, I, I, I know which side I'm, I'm taking on that bet. Um, I, I think the problem is that even if Rookie gets a couple kills over Incarnation, Incarnation is still going to do well enough that if you don't just destroy that bot lane, you're just going to lose I mean, the, the top lane. You're going to lose the bot lane, and you're going to get destroyed. And you know, you're going to be looking at Sneaky with seven kills on Tristana at like 25, 30 minutes, and the game's going to be over. And you just can't protect your towers at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what Invictus's answer to that is. What do you think the line is? Push. Okay, I get this one. I Fair said enough. Invictus minus 150. It is Invictus minus 149. So, I, I mean, and this is one... If, if there was going to be a push for Cloud9, I think it would be the AHQ game. I think it's mm-hmm. a general rule. People have less faith in the LMS region when it comes to gambling just because... I mean, this is the first team... Uh, the Flash Wolves are the first team to get out of group stage in the LMS mm-hmm. since the Taipei Assassins won it all. They've, mm. they've had this kind of string of really good in the regular season, not so great in international events. Yes, the Flash Wolves beat that, but does that mean AHQ is? I understand where people kind of would hesitate, and it leads us into our conversation about Fnatic versus AHQ. This was, this was the AHQ victory last time. This was the game where they caught Fnatic off guard and forced them to play this really high-octane style and Fnatic just, in trying to engage in the chaos, made everything so much worse for themselves. Mm-hmm. What can Fnatic change to try to take control of the pace back? Just to make sure that AHQ doesn't have that ability to accelerate the game in a way that it just looked from start to finish, Fnatic was just not comfortable with. Again, it's I, I think it, it all revolves around Fnatic just changing their overall strategy away from Huni mm-hmm. and into Reckless and, and Fabivan. 
and making those the, those two the the primary sources of the the carrying. Like, let's remember, Huni played three carry champions. He played Hecarim, he played Yasuo, and Darius. Uh, I believe that is correct. I'll double check while you keep he, going. He played he played like three carry style champions, and the the Hecarim game was pretty good. Into a ribbon that was like you know they just played it very well and they they you know had the 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 misstep of not taking that bottom turret but I think it it actually helped them more um, you know just just things like that I think he needs to shift away from being the carry and playing these carry style champions and even if he gets a Darius even if he gets Nar even if he gets Olaf or Fiora or whatever he needs to play more as a zoning. A zoning player and allowing Fabivin and allowing uh, uh, Reckless to do their thing instead of having Fabivin playing this kind of zoning character as you know, like an Oriana. Yeah, you know the funny thing is his uh, his kill share in this whole thing has been uh, has been twenty four percent. He's actually done a very good job of of getting a decent percentage of this team's kills. Especially given that he's only getting 21% of the gold share right now. They really haven't funneled as much into Huni as it <laughs> feels like they have. Right. The problem is that it feels like they re- they've been trying to funnel that into Huni, and it hasn't been effective because he's getting himself caught out. I don't I, – I guess I don't know where this team is going to end up throwing all this stuff. I mean right now <laughs> Reckless is only getting 23.4%. I think if you look at – Fabivin in his gold share. He right now is, is again, sitting at 24.7%. They've had this very even across-the-board kind of style. And I think in, in these kinds of games especially, you need someone you can point to and say, that's our guy. He's going to carry these team fights. He's going to get the resources that we need him to get. And we're going to, you know, if, if that means that Huni has to fall back and play a little bit more utility, kind of like he did... At the you know in the spring of season five, where he was playing a lot of these you know tankier champions, and he would fall behind early, and he would you know they wouldn't give him a lot of minions, but he would you know have this great rumble ult, and the utility would still matter. I mean, obviously it's not going to be a champion like Rumble, but forcing him to carry just throws everything off because you just you have to start by getting him these resources, which is his his early game is not his strength. And then in the late game, he's carrying in a very different way than just using the kind of utility things that have defined him up until this point. I think it, it, it's less about, to me, I guess, not using Huni at all and more about using him in the way that Huni likes to be used and the way that he likes to play, which, you know, again, comes back to this whole theme of this tournament. Man, these teams look a lot better once they finally play the style that they want to play. Um, but where do you think the line is at the end of all of this? I got this one exactly, so... I know, so this is going to be like a toss-away for me. Fnatic minus 145. Okay. It is uh, Fnatic minus 200. That's a little high. It's a little high. It, might, it was Fnatic minus 208 last time around. AHQ1, Fnatic's blue side now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a big story uh, at the end of the world championship. I want to take a look at what factors had the biggest influence on gambling lines when teams met again, just because I find this stuff fascinating. I'll do it through, you know, whatever regions unicorn managed to follow throughout the whole season. So I have, you know, accurate stats on it. Uh, That's something I'm looking that you guys can look forward to in the future. But for now you could look forward to the fact that Walter 
has tied this up. It is five to five after the group stage, which really all you could want is for these challenges to, to be as close as possible, which means really you should all be rooting for me in the unicorn challenge uh, tomorrow. <laughs> and you can show that support uh, and the support that, that we, uh, we both will deserve by being up so, so early in the morning to watch these Sunday games by, uh, by telling, telling people that you know about this podcast because we love this podcast. We love sharing it with you guys, and we love you know, hearing your reactions. You know, we love talking to you. If you want to tweet me at, at RedShirtKing, I always love to hear from you guys. And Walter, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at, at C80s underscore lull. And, and Chase, before we end, I know I said I was going to stop talking about Darius, but I went on Reddit, mm-hmm. and uh, a user by the name of White Pengoin uh, put together a, you know, Darius the Legend kind of tracking of, of his professional career. And I would just, I would like to take the time to, to once again, just recognize him for everything he's done. And then I promise to all of you, I will never, ever bring up Darius and TSM ever again. But I, <laughs> well, I well, just... you better bring up TSM again. We, have, we do this, you know, back in next spring, right? Like, you know, TSM is a team. Like, eventually we're okay, going to I won't, I won't gush about them. I probably will not be gushing about them next year. I'll be gushing about Renegades or, or the new Team Immortal. Or, Who knows? Or, or Gambit or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll have our teams. They're always yeah. going to be. But, but, but for now, we just take a moment to enjoy the Iris and give him, you know, we'll dedicate, should we just dedicate this podcast to him? We usually do that at the beginning if you're going to dedicate yeah, something. Yeah, let's, let's dedicate this podcast to Dyrus. This, this one's for you, man. And, uh, and I hope you, Dyrus, if you somehow hear this, are having a wonderful time uh, on and off the rift wherever you go next. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.